Hi, and welcome to the Book of Medora, the podcast about Zelda lore. I'm Crystal, and with me today is Cameron. Oh, I'm looking forward to this one. Why are you looking forward to this one? This is a weird goddamn game full of lots of weird lore. Yeah, Majora's Mask is a very strange video game. It's a sequel to the Ocarina of Time, but also doesn't really have anything to do with the Ocarina of Time. It's really removed. It's as radically removed as any direct sequel could theoretically be. It is kind of a similar thing to how Link's Awakening is a sequel to Link to the Past. Yeah, I suppose so. If, if you look at Link's Awakening as a sequel to Link to the Past, that's about as removed. But this is also like completely removed in terms of its structure and how you move through the game. That's true. There are dungeons and stuff, but that's kind of not the real point of the game. It's yeah. The side quests are kind of the point of the yeah. game. Yeah. You have a special affection for this game out of the Zelda games, yeah? It's my favorite video game. Favorite video game, period. That's Uh strong. It's got a very good... It's got all the good stuff in Ocarina of Time, plus all the good side quests. It has the schedules for all the NPCs, kind of like Shenmue, but unlike Shenmue, it's good. Shenmue? Yeah, Shenmue. Oh, that that Dreamcast game. Yeah, the Dreamcast and Xbox game that they're making a sequel to. Shenmue 3. Yeah, Shenmue 3. Okay, okay, now you're losing the fucking bit. Okay. Isn't Shenmue a tree or something in China? I I don't know. I I don't know the origin of the name Shenmue. I I feel like that's a thing, that at the end of the second game, they find this big tree in China, and like, that's Shenmue. You did it, you found it. Pretty much the only thing that I know about that series is how much money went into real-time mapping of the weather for each individual day that the game has. How much money went into that? Uh, A lot. It was a lot. That's one of the primary things that they spent so much time and effort making. Well, it really paid off. Yeah. Huh? I mean, we're getting a Shenmue 3, so something must have worked. Well, we're not here to talk about Shenmue. The original Shenmue, Majora's Mask. I, Shenmue might have... I, no, Shenmue came out first. I, yes. But I would like to start with a couple of stories from a character in the game called Granny, Ooh. who's the grandmother of Andrew. Ooh. Now, both of these two stories kind of talk about the background of Termina and the history that it had before Link got there. Now, oh, I see. So, so, so instead of reading, like, from the manual or trying to wing it ourselves, we're going headlong into text within the game itself. Yeah, this text is not necessarily 100% reliable because it's just some grandma's story, right. but I think it will provide some interesting context going forward. All right. Each year, the season of harmony begins when the sun and moon are in alignment, paying homage to the way that both nature and time are tirelessly in the process of progressing. The carnival of time is when the peoples of the four worlds celebrate that harmony and request fruitfulness for the year. For ages, people have worn masks resembling the giants who are the gods of the four worlds. Now, it has become a custom for each person to bring a handmade mask to the carnival of time. It is said that if a couple united on the day of the festival and dedicated a mask as a sign of their union, it would bring luck. The centerpiece of the carnival is the clock tower, and on the eve of all the festivities, the doors to its roof are opened. From atop the clock tower roof, a ceremony to call the gods is held, and an ancient song is sung. All of these festivities for the Carnival of Time are held so that we may ask the gods for a rich harvest in the year to come. Any, any thoughts, Cameron? No, no, I d- didn't know if you were finished or not. It's been a bit since I've listened to the entirety of the longer version of Granny's story. That That is the longer one, right? That That is the first of two. That's the shorter Sh- one. Shit. Okay, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, this that's an interesting thing, the way that it frames the Giants as being the gods of Termina, but that pretty much tracks with the role that they play in this game. They're like the most explicit uh, representation and appearances of not minor gods, but nature gods or national gods to appear at this point in the series. What's well, weird because they're not really worshipped. And although Granny refers to them as gods explicitly, that's not necessarily a theme that comes up with a lot of other NPCs. Do we not know that they're worshipped? Or rather, do we know they're not worshipped? Because it seems like this entire festival is in dedication to them. According to Granny, yes, but that doesn't necessarily come up with like... Like, you know, when you talk to the builders who are building the bridge to the clock tower, they're not talking about the gods. They're just talking about this... Uh, carnival in a more secular way. Okay, I guess that's fair, but couldn't that just be the case where people with really earthbound, almost commercial concerns are allowing that to override what should be a day of holy reflection? Yeah, that's the impression I get. It's been, it's like Christmas. It's, mm, I, mm, yeah, okay. Hey, Cameron, I have a hot take. Oh no. Christmas has lost its religious meaning. I, I think you could say it's lost its religious meaning multiple times. Yes. You could say yeah. that. We we will talk a little bit more about the divinity of the giants, or lack thereof, or perhaps not, when we get to Ikata. Okay. So oh. here's Granny's second story. Oh this tale's from long ago, when all the people weren't separated into four worlds like they are now. In those times, all the people lived together, and the four giants lived among them. On the day of the festival that celebrates the harvest, the giants spoke to the people. We have chosen to guard the people while we sleep. One hundred steps north, one hundred steps south, one hundred steps east, one hundred steps west. If you have need, call us in a loud voice by declaring something such as, The mountain blizzard has trapped us, or the ocean is about to swallow us. Your cry shall carry to us. Now then, there was one who was shocked and saddened by all this. A little imp. The imp was a friend of the giants, since before they had created the four worlds. Why must you leave? Why do you not stay? The childhood friend felt neglected, so he spread his anger across the four worlds. Repeatedly, he wronged all people. Overwhelmed with misfortune, the people sang the song of prayer to the giants who lived in each of the four compass directions. The giants heard their cry and responded with a roar. O imp, O imp, we are the protectors of the people. You have caused the people pain. O imp, leave these four worlds. Otherwise, we shall tear you apart. The imp was frightened and saddened. He had lost his old friends. The imp returned to the heavens, and harmony was restored to the four worlds. And the people rejoiced, and they worshipped the giants of the four worlds like gods. And they lived happily ever after. Well, that's a hell of a story. So, let's talk about this imp guy. Okay, um, I think before we do that, we may want to take a second just maybe for our listeners who aren't completely familiar with what the Hell Majora's Mask is, and try to frame a little bit more concretely exactly what it is we're talking about here. Like the concept behind Majora's Mask as a game and Termina as a setting. Okay, so Majora's Mask is the sequel to Ocarina of Time, which was made in a single year. Yeah. It was supposed to be kind of the same basic idea as Link's Awakening, where it was going to be a Gaiden set in a weird, mysterious world. And one of the ideas is that uh, they would reuse a lot of the models of the random NPCs in Ocarina of Time 
and then create a bunch of side quests with them. So Termin is a world that's supposed to be eerily reminiscent of of Hyrule in Ocarina of Time. And the bits that we're talking about now for this world that is essentially made from leftover pieces of Ocarina of Time's assets is the backstory, the legends behind the setting. Yes, this is sort of the, I guess you could say, creation myth of the world as it is okay. now. So this question about the imp ties very much into the way that Majora's Mask as a story begins. So what was the question you wanted to pose? So the main villain of Majora's Mask is this imp-like creature named the Skull Kid, who is also a minor character that you encounter in the Lost Woods of Ocarina of Time. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is the same character as the imp of this story? Now that's an interesting question. I think that pretty much... All of the indications that we have, concrete indications, point to the idea that, yes, it is the same character. But listening to you talk about it just now, at the amount of havoc that he apparently wrecked, and the response of the people to call upon the gods to save them from him, it yes. makes me think that maybe Skull Kid isn't the imp in this case. That's what I was thinking, too. Skull Kid by himself, I don't think, could terrorize the whole world in this fashion. It's only with the help of Majora's Mask that he has such power. Are you suggesting that perhaps the imp in question is not Skull Kid, but rather is Majora for whom the mask is named? I think that could be one way to read it, yes. Mm. Okay. Well, I still think that it's... Mm. Okay, let's see. There's some bits later in the game where they talk about for uh, save our friend... Forgive our friend. That could be talking about school. No, no. I I think that just for the sake of consistency, I'm going to assume regardless that the imp is definitely Skull Kid. And the way that he wrecked havoc on Termina isn't especially clear. But it... Okay, so the other half of the antagonistic force of Majora's Mask is the titular Majora's Mask. Yes. Which is stolen... From the Happy Mask Salesman, who may or may not be the Happy Mask Salesman from Ocarina of Time. Though it's oh, I think he definitely is. I was going to say it's heavily implied that he's the same dude. And the way that the Happy Mask Salesman describes the mask is that it was given terrible power by rituals performed with it in ages long past. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not unimaginable that the... Skull Kid obtained Majora's mask, and before it affected his person... Mm, no, that doesn't that doesn't quite line up. Okay, I'm not quite sure how to read the exact uh, literal interpretation of the legend as told to you by Anju's grandmother. I think another interesting note is the sheer wrath that the giants have towards the imp. Like, they threaten to tear him apart if he does not go away. They're, they're pretty chill when you talk to them in the game itself. Yeah, the, when we talk about the skill ki Skull Kid and the Giant's relationship in the game, it there's nothing to suggest that there was any kind of violence of this nature. It was just that they left to go protect the four worlds, and he felt like they had abandoned him. So this him. is almost like, well, they do have things, mm, okay, yeah. Yeah, that does make sense. It's like this is an embellishment to explain why there was this split between them because the more mundane, possibly truer explanation that they just left to do their duty because duty was more important than friendship, that's a little bit heavier. Although the 
the imp is still a figure that's worthy of having tales told about it. Yeah. So he must have done something. Yeah, that's true. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's that's an interesting that's an interesting bit to start this off with the uh, origin of Termina as we experience it in the game. There is one more thing. Okay. So when the imp leaves the world, Andrew's grandmother specifically says the imp returned to the heavens. Oh boy! And when Link goes to Termina, he literally falls down a great big hole, and then he moves laterally through some caves and ends up in Clock Town. All of this seems to suggest that Termina is literally an underworld. I half expected you to say that Termina is literally Wonderland. Because, <laughs> I mean, it kind of evokes a lot of that imagery, right? I guess it's a little bit. I, well, underworlds are a very common theme in Zelda games, right? Especially the older ones. And in a way, Termina might be hearkening back to that. But I don't know if we're supposed to read the act of Link falling as him falling into some subterranean place. I mean, Termina still has a sun. It still has a moon that comes from very, very far away. Sure, but so does the inside of the moon. I see. What are you suggesting about the nature of Termina? I think Termina is not... Hmm. I think it's some kind of pocket dimension in the same way the inside of the moon. I see. Well, that, that's, that still fits in calling it an alternate reality, doesn't it? I, hmm. Reality yeah, I in guess. Termina is very weird, though. It's full of impossible spaces in ways that are atypical for Zelda games. Yes. I, I'm sure that's another thing that we'll talk about as we get to the tail end of the discussion about the Akana region. There's also stuff in the Akana region that would be relevant to the idea of Termina being physically below Hyrule. Ooh, okay, I'm looking forward to us getting there then. In that case, uh, should we get started on... Uh, the actual plot of the game and moving through that. Okay. Actually, you know, let me pull up the exact opening text. Okay. In the land of Hyrule, there echoes a legend. A legend held dearly by the royal family that tells of a boy. A boy who, after battling evil and saving Hyrule, crept away from the land that had made him a legend. Done with the battles he once waged across time, he embarked on a journey. A secret and personal journey. A journey in search of a beloved and invaluable friend. At this point in the game, the Navi noise plays. A friend with whom he parted ways when he finally fulfilled his heroic destiny and took his place among legends. So then we open to Link... Ride Kid Link specifically right. riding Epona through the misty woods, which appear to be the Lost Woods, uh, hmm. and he kind of has his head down. He looks kind of dejected, as if he's been looking for Navi for some time and he hasn't made any progress. I kind of read it as him actually being asleep in the saddle. Really? Yeah. I suppose that could work too. That still gives off the idea that he's been like searching for a long time. He's very tired. Yeah, this isn't the beginning of his journey by any means. I don't know yeah. if I read it as the Lost Woods, but he's been riding for a while. Yeah. So then, two other fairies show up, and then it pans to this mysterious mask floating in the air, and then a figure pops in behind it, the Skull Kid. I, When I played this on the Nintendo 64, I thought the way the mask appears before Skull Kid does was just kind of a, a visual glitch of the N64. Oh, yeah. But they they absolutely maintain it in the 3DS version. It's See, I never got that impression in the first place. I thought it was just meant to be spooky. But it, it does give off the impression that, oh, Majora's the one in charge here. The Skull Kid's just a puppet. Yeah, yeah that's definitely a good way to read that. So, the Skull Kid and the fairies mug Link. They steal his horse, and it goes off chasing after them. Goes off chasing through the woods a little bit. He does some sweet flips, which they added to this yeah. game. 
And then he falls down a very big hole. And he falls for a good little while here. And there's all sorts of symbols that appear around him as he falls. The symbols of the masks that he will wear. And then he lands on a Deku flower, very far down. And the Skull Kid's like, that stupid horse ran away from me, and I hate you, so I'm going to curse you to yeah. be a Deku. And then this weird cutscene plays. This, oh. Where Link is like, there's these giant Deku all around him, and then this big one starts chasing him, and then it, the camera pans back out, and he's he's a little he's a little Deku he's Link. He's a little Deku Link. He got transformed into a Deku Link by the bad Majora's Mask. So then Skull Kid... And this fairy tail, like, ha 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 ha. And the other fairy tattle is mocking Link. But then she gets stuck yeah. with it. And then they make their way through this little cave. And near the end of the cave, they specifically call out this weird warped looking tree. Yeah, okay. This particular tree that looks so sad. It looks so tortured. It has the face of Deku Link, more or less. Yes, Tattle specifically says that it looks kind of like you. Yeah, that's that's not going to come up later. Oh, we can just talk about it now. Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm being I'm being sarcastic. It totally comes up later. It's one of the last shots in the game. Yeah, this is a specific person. Yeah, this it it's sort of a realization that you get much later in the game once you get the other transformation masks. But you learn that all the transformation masks re- actually represent specific people. People who have died and become masks. In the case of the Gorn mask and the Zora mask, they become masks because you help heal the pain that they're experiencing. Help them come to terms with their own deaths. But the Deku mask, that's a little different. The implication I get here is that this little Deku just happened to be wandering in these caves for whatever reason. And then with the power of Majora's mask, the Skull Kid like, grafted his spirit onto Link, leaving a a tortured, desiccated corpse behind. That's not a bad way to read it. Now, eventually, Link will use the Song of Healing to kind of heal this spirit. Yeah, I like that healing sequence where he waves goodbye to it. Yeah, and this will uh, bind the spirit to a mask, which he can take off and then put on at will. Hmm. Do you read the masks as having the spirits within them? Because I never did. Really? How do you read them? I read them as essentially being vessels for experience and pain, but not for the consciousness of the being behind them. So when Link wears the Deku mask, he doesn't have the thoughts of the slain Deku adjacent to his own. He just has his body and knows his sorrows. Okay, so you don't think... Well, I didn't mean to apply that there was, like, a mind to the mask. Oh. I'm talking spirit in a more, uh, like, their essence, I guess, but not consciousness. Uh, okay. Uh, so, hmm. that, that's, that's, that's strictly a case of splitting hairs in terms of uh, description, so I, w- I won't fight you on that one. Their hearts, not their will, in Kingdom oh, Hearts terms. Oh, dear God. Uh, so, Link... So, after... You go past this tree. Link walks through this weird, twisty hallway right. that kind of looks like the hall, that one hallway in the forest temple. I love that hallway. And then he walks into this room with all sorts of clockwork machinery going on, and the stone door closes behind them, and that door will never, ever open Not again. ever. So he walks upstairs, and the happy mask salesman. The motherfucking happy mask salesman. This oh, guy, man. the way they animate this guy, they don't. He doesn't yeah. animate. He just, like, switches hard between different poses. 
good. It's very creepy, very unsettling. It gives him this sort of almost manic energy, the way he switches between poses, because so much of his expressions are very, uh, they're almost Miyamoto-esque, just very smiley and warm and unassuming. But the way that he seems to change poses every time the camera changes, like he can appear on different parts of the room every time the camera cuts. It's like he conveys this sense of unreality, even though he has the strongest emotional concrete reactions of any character in the game. It also kind of gives the impression he's maybe not human. Is that how you think? Because Oh, because of the animation thing? Or at least some kind of supernatural being. There was a piece of fan art back in 2011 when Skyward Sword was just beginning to coalesce as a thing that people were anticipating. You've probably seen this fan art. It's like the one piece of Zelda fan art. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's the one that's mostly vertical. At the top of it are the oracles. And at the bottom of it are Ganon and Link's mother holding baby Link. And also the the shadow wolf representing the hero Shade, I think. And I like that particular one because of how the happy mask salesman is framed in it. And it really speaks to how a lot of people see this character, right? Because it's the happy mask salesman standing in the center. And he has more of a center placement in the evil half or the dark half of that picture than any other character. And he's standing on top of the eye of... Oh, what, what's the name of the bad guy from Phantom Hourglass? Bellum. Bellum. He's standing on top of Bellum's eye, so it's standing on top of an orb, right? But the mm-hmm. interesting thing about that particular picture is that he's actually echoing the way that you see the oracles at the top of the picture standing on top of a hill. Mm-hmm. So he sort of stands opposite of the oracles, and it really says a lot about how people read his presence in the game, which is doubly interesting to me because I always thought he was supposed to just be Miyamoto. He does have a Mario mask. He does. He, he, he definitely also, sucked out the soul of Mario into a mask. I don't think that's the explanation for most of his masks. Have you seen Super Mario Odyssey? I, mm, Do you I think have, Mario has a soul? Yes. Okay. I, I'm going to go with yes. So the other interesting thing about this uh, region under the clock tower where the happy mask salesman is, and he does not go anywhere else till the end of the game. Right. He doesn't interact with people. He just hangs out here is that this place seems to be outside time. Time uh, does not pass inside And here. it's not just that it doesn't pass. In fact, it could... Pa- it, it doesn't... The outside world of Termina doesn't pass, but you can go through multiple cycles, and the Happy Mask Salesman still knows what's up with you. Yeah, like, like the very first time you go back, he asks... He acts as if three days have passed. Like, where's my mask? Yeah. And it, that, that... Yeah, he's definitely placed as kind of the most constantly present almost god figure in this game so the happy masked salesman says he's been following you for a little bit he says that this imp creature stole a very precious mask just like he stole the ocarina of time from you and if you can get the ocarina back you should also be able to get back his mask yeah yeah that's uh this is an interesting lead-in because in some ways i think that this is actually the game's third beginning so to speak but we never actually see the first two except in flashbacks. Yeah. It's uh, interesting that he seems to be aware that you are the hero of time. Yeah. It's almost like he represents an intelligence from outside of the narrative. Like Miyamoto. Like Miyamoto. But, like, Link in the child timeline is not known as a hero except by very few people, such as Zelda. 
just Zelda. Yeah. How does he know? I'm going to guess it's because of spooky magic. He's the spooky magic Miyamoto. It man. could well be spooky magic Miyamoto man, yes. So you hang out in Clocktown for a couple of days. You are not allowed to go outside because you're just a kid. You don't even have a sword. It's a. I really like that logic of reminding, like, oh yeah, Link is a child. The guards but, aren't just going to let him out. Yeah, that that makes sense up to a point. But when they see you with a sword, they're like, oh, excuse me, sir, I didn't yeah. mean to be standing in your way. Obviously, like, if you have a sword, you must be an adult. Well, yeah, it, I, I actually like that as like just a little cultural tidbit because it implies that if you have a sword, that you must have earned it somehow. I mean, it's not like you can just buy them. You definitely cannot. Swords are, they're not just given out. Uh, so you do some stuff, eventually, so, okay, here's the thing. Some stuff. The very first time you step outside, you could potentially look up into the sky. But as we all know, no one looks up in video games. Yeah. Especially in, in a Nintendo 64 or 3DS game where you don't necessarily have that right stick. So looking up is kind of a process. Well, I mean, you pressed up on the C buttons. I mean, you could, but I think there's probably a lot of people who didn't do that. Until they, yeah. Until they go to the observatory and they look up in the sky and the moon has a giant face on it, and it is clearly moving closer and closer with each passing minute. And you say face here. It is not just a face. It is an angry, just, it is so furious at whatever is going on on the ground, and it wants to get down there and stop it and mess up everything. It's uh, really interesting the way the music progresses in Clock Town, where on the first day it's just kind of that nice, happy tune. And then the second day, it's like, it's playing a little bit faster. Like, everything's going to be fine. It's okay. And then the third day, there's this really ominous bass line in the background. And the music is playing so fast, like it's desperately trying to drown out the reality that the moon is about to fucking destroy the world. Which ties in really well with the characters talking about it. Yeah, one of the first characters you're likely to interact with are the is the carpenter boss, who's like, oh, everyone's trying to evacuate the city, but I'm going to stay here. That moon's gonna fall. Let it fall. Yeah, this is a this is a strange game for some of its character motivations because it's like you can hear the carpenters and the soldiers, the town guard, arguing with each other about what the best thing to do is, and the carpenters plainly have some investment that is more than just pride oriented. I wonder if maybe it's mercantile. While the guards just want to make sure everybody survives what looks like the inevitable crashing of the moon. On the third day, the guards have a very good uh, pose. They're just kind of looking up in the sky, very loosely holding their spears, quaking in their boots. But they won't leave because not everyone is gone. Yeah. If you try to leave, they'll be like, no, you have to find your parents. I'm sure they're very worried about it. Is them. that what happens? Yeah. Oh. I thought that mm, when you talk to them with a sword, that line is different, right? They tell you to run as far as you can. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about Deku Link. Yeah, Deku Link is like, kid, you can't get... Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, Oh, I love everything about the progression of that because you spend the first uh, the first time you go through the game, it's going to be 72 minutes that you spend in that first cycle if you manage to beat it on your first try. Yep. And that 72 minutes is such a great building up of tension. Definitely. It, it, it's a really controlled thing. It Nintendo has a thing throughout a lot of the Zelda games where they have you can only progress at a certain speed. And you need to relax and take it in because you're not really going to get around it. And I think Majora's Mask actually does this more... It does it 
more urgently than almost any other Zelda game, and I'm including Skyward Sword in that, in that you need to experience this first part of the game on its own terms to understand what the game is like and what it's about. You're also probably likely to finish the necessary story bits before the 72 hours is actually up, but it won't let you get to the end of that sequence until the 72 hours is up. So you have time to just kind of explore the town a little bit and take note of people's schedules. Assuming that you've got all those bombers found. They're they're not that hard to find. Uh, mm, that, 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 That mini game has messed up more people than you would think. Other people have trouble finding the bombs. Yeah, I mean, I'm, we're going to he- if if we get enough people listening to this podcast, we will hear from people who go, ah, the bombers. I almost quit this game because of those stupid kids and their hide and seek. I, I could probably remember where they all are now. Let's see. There's one in the north, kind of in the corner. Now keep in mind that the placement on 3ds is actually different compared to the N64 version. Is that so? It is completely true. Huh. I, I, I'm pretty sure on that one. It has been a long time since I played the N64 version, but I found those bombers a lot of times for no particular reason. I'm on the fact. It's, it's, oh no. Fact checking can ruin all the podcast. It's one of the things that they changed for the 3DS version. Uh, like, oh yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, that's what I thought. There's a few things they did like that. Now, one thing that's different in the 3DS version versus the N64 version, and this is one of the reasons that I like the N64 version's handling of this specific topic better, is that during the first three-day sequence in which you are supposed to retrieve the Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, on the 3DS version, I believe you can actually save your game. Yes, you absolutely can. So you can get to the uh, 24-hour mark, let's say, and fail to find all the bombers, and then reload go back and find all the bombers much faster and complete the sequence. At the time, I was a big fan of the forced 72 minutes or 144 minutes. Oh, I love it. But I understand that not everyone is 10 years old. Options are good. Yeah, it's good to be able to see. I don't like that they changed the banker, even though his position is much more convenient. Oh, it's way more convenient. But I, I, I also really liked that they're over there. I kept running back to that place over and over, playing the 3DS version, the original place for them. Mm-hmm. And that was good. But, I mean, we could talk about the save system a little bit later. I actually got uh, a question on my Twitter with regards to the uh, differences between the two versions of the game, and we can come back around to that. Oh, yeah, I wrote that down. Uh, let's see, where were we? So, you do some stuff, and you, you're told, you find out that the Skull Kid is hiding on top of the clock tower, but you cannot access the clock tower until the Carnival of Time, the end of the three days. And then you go up there... And you're like, hey, give me back my ocarina. And he's like, no, actually, I'm going to call this moon down to destroy the world. <laughs> yeah, that, and it's like you show up, and Link has no plan for how to deal with this, if there's any resistance whatsoever. Nope. And this is a frightening bit, because at this point in the game, the moon is so close that you can see the craters on its skin just looking up. You could, You feel like you could reach out and touch its nose, almost. Especially in the 3DS version. And... Link is facing down this enemy with a degree of power that he has no context for understanding, except that it's managed to pull down the moon over the course of three days. And it raises the stakes so much, because previously the Skull Kid was just a mugger, but now he's trying to destroy the just world. Just an apocalypse on a scale that I think no other Zelda game has been explicit about. Yeah, the, the world is never in threat of being literally physically destroyed and the moon would do that 
Yeah. Even just kind of bumping into it, it would be real bad. Do you think that this destruction would affect Hyrule at all? Honestly, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that. I mean, they're I, they're connected to each other conceptually, but I don't think that Termina and Hyrule share a, a physical space, as it were. Uh, same here. I think yeah. there is a portal you can cross that humans can cross, but water and fire will not. So the yeah. flood also does not affect Termina. It's like you're you if you have a will, you can cross. But that that's an interesting sequence because you're facing down this unbelievably powerful what's essentially a demon god that you don't understand at all, and all you have to your name is the ability to blow bubbles, which you <laughs> yeah. which you used earlier to pop a balloon to show a bunch of shit kids how cool you are, so they would play hide and go seek with you. It's such a great kid logic, just the, just blowing this little bubble to knock the ocarina out of the skull kid's hand. And the skull kid is like, whoa! And he just drops the fucking thing. Doesn't even try to hold on to it. It's and, a good illustration of Link's courage, also. Yeah, yeah that it even is. though he's facing this this unimaginable threat and all he has to his name is not even the sword but just blowing a magic bubble he's gonna try the thing is that the designers of the game know how sort of unintuitive and absurd the sequence is because you get a bit of time dilation here the moon is about to crash but no matter how late you go into this sequence you have five minutes to deal with the skull kid yep so you can spend five minutes in there trying to figure out what's going on because deku link can only do like two things he can spin and he can blow bubbles and if you run around enough and break all the pots i think there are pots up there you're going to figure out that you have not got the tools you need to directly hit him unless you blow a bubble at him and then you blow a bubble and he just drops the ocarina and that's one of the parts of the game that i like best and then when you pick up the ocarina it goes to a flashback now this to me was the second beginning of the game or maybe the first so you're talking to to kid Zelda. She's like, hey, uh, you're my friend, but I understand you got to go on this journey. But I want you to take this ocarina with you. And then she teaches you the Song of Time and tells you that the goddess of time will protect you. Yeah. Hey, who's the goddess of time? Now, okay. This, this, this bears some conversation because just talking about the context of this game, this exact question, who is the goddess of time, was the source of minor feuds in my corner of the Zelda fandom. What are you inclined to believe? Knowing what I know now, Hylia seems very much to be the goddess of time, but that's just something that was written into the story afterward that happens to fit, right? At the time, I don't think it meant anything in particular. Why would you say Hylia? Mm. Now, this is getting into a lot of stuff that we haven't covered on the podcast yet, primarily dealing with um, Skyward Sword. That's okay. In Skyward Sword, Hylia is the patron god of the Hylians, or humans, in some of the game. Uh, in Ocarina of Time, they're referred to as Hylians, literally the people of Hylia, but Hylia herself is never named. And in Skyward Sword, she's very much related to the element or the dimension of time. All the machinations that she puts down have to do with the hero being able to travel through time or carry around pockets of warped time as an object. And when she speaks to the player, she does too from her own perspective outside of time. And this is also interesting to me because the time stones in Skyward Sword that allow you to create localized space-time changes and seem to form the gates that allow you to travel back and forth between eras 
are also the same color as the door of time and ocarina of time and the ocarina of time itself yes the implication is definitely that the ocarina of time is made from those or something like it and that's interesting to me because it seems that when they got around to writing skyward sword they intended for Hylia to be the goddess of time referenced in Majora's Mask. There are but, a couple things to note. Okay. Uh, first of all is that the goddess of time is known among Terminus. Mm-hmm. She is referenced by Tattle uh, immediately after this scene. She's oh, also yes. referenced by the Deku butler and the guy hiding out in the spider house. Oh, I see. Yes, uh, Tattle actually says, somebody, anybody, goddess of time, help us, please. We need more time. And that's how, that's that's your hint. You play the ocarina. But at the time, there wasn't really any telling who the goddess of time was. Just that she was a goddess, as was sort of the thing in all the Zelda games. And that she controlled the flow of time. Which implied that the goddess of time was also responsible for how time worked in Ocarina of Time. That and, would imply that, although the time mechanics here are completely different than they were in Ocarina. Oh, Absolutely. Have you ever heard the theory about the fourth Triforce? I have, yes. Okay. Well, what, what was the version of it that you heard? Uh, that there was some kind of missing sister to the goddesses. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that one. Uh, the, the specific one that I'm referring to suggested that this missing sister was the goddess of time, and that the missing Triforce piece would have been the Triforce of time. I, well, I mean, if you could no. say Nehru is the goddess of time. I don't know. She governs the natural laws of the world, which includes time. That would have been a good interpretation of it when Majora's Mask came out. Her shit was blue. I'm inclined to believe that this is an entirely separate goddess unrelated to the Triforce goddess. Yes, though I went through a lot of arguments with people who believed just the opposite while this was going on. Well, the other sort of invisible presence of the goddess of time is at the ending of the game where... Any side quest that you completed is treated as if it was done, even if it was not done in the last cycle that you played. Oh, man. Which you would definitely not have time to do everything. We should definitely talk about that when we get to the end, because I love that bit. So, Link plays the song. Okay, let's talk about the instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you equip the Ocarina of Time on your little menu screen, you press the button, but Link does not pull out the Ocarina of Time. He pulls out a big set of Deku horns. And they are some horns. And this goes with all the other uh, transformation masks. For the Gorons, it's a, uh, some drums. And for the Zora, it's a guitar. I love how much Tattle is like, what the hell are those when you pull out the horns? <laughs> oh, also, the very first time Link meets Tattle, and Tattle's like, hey, let's go chase after the Skull Kid. Link looks directly at the camera and shrugs his shoulders and shakes his head. Yeah, that, Nintendo did some interesting things here with breaking the fourth wall. It's like, oh man, whatever. It's fine. Let's go with it. Yeah. So it's weird that the Ocarina of Time exists in a kind of metaphysical sense where if Link thinks about pulling it out and he's in a different form, he'll manifest a different instrument. Oh, so it's like the Ocarina of Time is being focused through the lens of the Terminan body that he has. Yeah, where where in his Highland body it manifests just as an ocarina, but that is not its quote-unquote true form, which is not quite necessarily physical. So it's a platonic instrument of time. Yes. Okay, everything else is just shadows cast upon the wall of the cave. So you go back in time to the very beginning of the three days. It does actually play uh, 
a quick summary of the scenes of you being mugged and falling down the hole and being turned into a Deku. But only this I'm, one time. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's meant to apply that you lived through all that again, or if it's just a memory. I think it might be just a thematic thing. It's like you you can experience it in, uh, yeah, I think memory is a good way to put it. Okay. So then you you start right back in front of the clock tower, which is where you start. Uh, every time you go back in time, which you can do at will by playing the song of time. And Tattle's like, okay, let's go back in and talk to the mask salesman because we don't know what's going on. So you go back inside and the mask salesman is like, hey, what's up? Where's my mask? Even though presumably it should have only been like two seconds since you left. Then he gets very, very angry that you do not have the mask, even though you have the ocarina. And his anger transitions into fear and then into begging. Yes, he gives, so he tells you a little bit about the true nature of the mask. I'd like to read this quote. Okay. The mask that was stolen from me, it is called Majora's Mask. It is an accursed item from legend that is said to have been used by an ancient tribe in its hexing rituals. It is said that an evil and wicked power is bestowed upon the one who wears that mask. According to legend, the troubles caused by Majora's Mask were so great, the ancient ones, fearing such catastrophe, sealed the mask in shadow forever, preventing its misuse. But now, that tribe from the legend has vanished, so no one really knows the true nature of the mask's power. But I feel it. I went to great lengths to get that legendary mask. When I finally had it, I could sense the doom of a dark omen brewing. It was that unwelcome feeling that makes your hair stand on end. And now, that impasse. And it goes to a... Never mind. So... There's an interesting gap in the story that the Happy Mask Salesman tells, right. which is that the tribe from the legend sealed away the mask in shadow forever, mm-hmm. and then somehow... Well, the, the gods sealed it away. The giants, it's implied. But it says the ancient ones, fearing such catastrophe, sealed the mask in shadow forever. Do you think that implies the giants? I honestly thought that it did, yeah. Huh. Okay, I guess you could read it as being the tribe themselves. So how did he get this mask? Yeah, that's a big question. How does he... Mm, where was Majora's Mask? Do you... Mm, I know that at a certain point, it's implied that a great and evil power is inside of the Stone Tower Temple, and that those doors being opened blew an ill wind that brought catastrophe. Oh yeah, I definitely think the implication is that Majora's Mask was sealed in Twin Molds Lair. Oh, that's the sickest! Which makes me wonder not only how... Did the happy mask salesman get it? But why did he try to get it? And he saw the masks. He's a completionist. He, is that it? He just needs to have I it? I honestly don't know. I mean, maybe he wants to make the game happen. What if the happy mask salesman is the imp? Huh. That's a thought. Huh, maybe. Now, that, that also brings up another interesting question, though, because we know that Skull Kid steals the mask from the happy mask salesman, who yeah. does not appear to have had the mask during the events of Ocarina of Time. And certainly the Skull Kid did not have the mask during the events of Ocarina of Time. I mean, he might have had it and just not shown it. It's certainly not something you display on the wall. Or at least Skull Kid did not have it. Skull Kid definitely did not have it. So there's this interesting bit here where it makes you wonder, when exactly did Skull Kid get the mask? Because by the time the three days start, Skull Kid has just caused absolute chaos all over the world. He's had time. Before he decides to pull down the moon. Definitely. I mean, at the very least, he has disabled and sealed away the guardian gods of the world. And 
that plays into something that you see the first time you head out of Hyru- out of uh, Clocktown because you're told that you should head uh, what was it south? Uh, well, you're told you head towards the swamp first. I don't remember what direction that is. Damn it! I think it is west. Okay, so you head towards the west and you pass. You're generally going to pass near this big, fallen, hollowed-out tree. Yeah. And that's when you get the origin story of Majora's Mask falling into the Skull Kid's hands, basically. Oh, you're right. It actually is the south. Oh, it is the south? Okay. Yeah, that's good. The ocean is west, the mountain is north, and the canyon is east. That's... I'm glad I remembered that little bit. My partner will be very glad that my cardinal direction senses don't mess up anything except for east and west. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, the hollowed out tree where you find a picture of the Skull Kid and his fairy friends. Yes. So, and that's an interesting bit because it shows the fairies. You get a flashback to when they first met. And Mm -hmm. the fairies are playing in the meadow of Termina Fields. Yeah. And... It starts to rain, and it's cold, and they're trying to be warm near each other. Mm-hmm. And they take refuge beneath this same log, and there they find the Skull Kid, who's also really huddled up just by himself and is shivering and Aww. seems to be upset. Yeah. but So he, he's, we've got all that, and the Skull Kid doesn't have Majora's Mask at the time. He does not. They, the fairies and the Skull Kid, they spend some time playing together. We get this montage of them becoming friends, of Skull Kid drawing the picture of himself with the fairies, which is very reminiscent of the art that Link drew on the outside of his own house in Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. And then we see the actual sequence where Skull Kid steals Majora's mask from the Happy Mask sales. Yes, in and, the same woods that Link yes, was in. Yes, and it's all apparently very funny to him. Like, just the act of stealing from this sleeping person. Tattle mentions that even at the time, she felt that this was going too far. The act of theft? Yes. Uh, so we've got a case where, at the time, the Skull Kid's pranks were much less severe than they would eventually become. Right. And that creates an interesting question for me. When exactly did Skull Kid steal the mask? The way the Happy Mask salesman talks to you when you first meet suggests that it happened relatively recently. Right. From his perspective. From his perspective. And who knows how he thinks of time. Or who knows. Because he doesn't appear to have gone back into Termina. Right. It seems like the outside world, which is delineated by the inside of the clock tower, has time flowing at a very different pace compared to Termina itself. So it makes me think that if the backstory of Majora's Mask occurred so long ago that it is just legend and supposition, even to someone as old as Anju's grandmother, when was the Skull Kid there? How old is the Skull Kid? Did he leave the Lost Woods before he met Link in Ocarina of Time? What The way I think about it is that the Skull Kid is essentially an immortal supernatural being. But the implication in Ocarina of Time is that the Skull Kid is part of a tribe of Skull Children who just live in the Lost Woods. Okay. Oh, I see. So that's why it would be important that these particular woods that border Termina be the Lost Woods. Yeah. I see. That does make a certain amount of sense. But the way that I read it is that from the Skull Kid's experience, he has probably only spent a f- very little time relatively outside of Termina since first meeting the Giants. 
But I guess that's not really important to discussing the lore of it. It's just something that I thought was interesting because it implies a lot of things about how time flows in Termina. Like uh, the seven years that took place in Ocarina of Time could have been millennia of time in Termina. Here's a question. What the hell was the happy mask salesman doing in the Lost Woods? He goes all over to find his masks. It makes sense that Link would search in there because that's around where fairies live, I guess. So maybe Navi's there. Okay. But what mask is he going to find in an uncivilized, dense forest? Well, I mean, if, if, if I think that one of the things that... If you're reading that forest as the Lost Woods, then I think one of the only ways to make the topography of Hyrule make sense is to assume that the Lost Woods also acts as a border between Hyrule and other nations or other continents. And you have to travel through the Lost Woods to leave it. Yep, this is getting geography, but I'm going to look at the Ocarina. Oh no. I guess you could also go back through the Gerudo Desert. But the Lost Woods is always this... In terms of space, the Lost Woods has never made sense. There's all sorts of weird teleportations and stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess everywhere in Ocarina is surrounded by mountains except for the Lost Woods, which just blends into the clouds as woods. Right. But again, geography arguments about Zelda don't make a lot of sense. They never do. Yeah, it makes sense to me that with the Lost Woods being this weird mystical space with portals everywhere, why not a portal to another dimension? That's a good question. Uh, one of the things that I like best about, uh, going backward a little bit, one of the things that I like best about that initial uh, cycle is that you, I basically really like that great fairy quest that you get where you have to reassemble the great fairy. Oh yeah, which, is that the first uh, time that the great fairy has been an amalgamation of fairies? Yes, I think that is definitely the first time. Is it the only time? Uh... Hmm, I feel like that's showed up somewhere well, else. It's something that I really like, partially because it's the first hint you get, unless you look at the moon, about how far Skull Kid's pranksterism is going, because he's taken this earth goddess and basically just shattered her, literally. And she turns into these really stupid-looking kissy-face fairies, and I like those. Mm-hmm. And you have to go back to her and reassemble her again in a future cycle, and she gives you a mask that looks like her... And the hair starts flying everywhere and automatically draws kissy face fairies to it. Nice. I, I just really like that mask. It's very silly. It's a. Uh, well, there's lots of cool little masks in this game. Not all of them are important, but they all have fun little. And effects. they all have their own little stories. Yep. Should we spend time on it? How exactly do you want to address the structure of this game? Do you want to like just go over the uh, larger story points and then address all the masks, or do you want to like try to pepper in the masks as we go along? Uh, which masks? Uh, Andrew and Cafe definitely we should talk about. Right. Uh, what else do you think? Well, I mean, a lot of the interconnected masks would be very interesting to talk about in the way that they're interconnected. You've got the Gorman Brothers mask, the mm-hmm. Romani mask. You've got the Garo mask, which I think we'll have to talk about regardless once we get to Ikana. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got... And that ties, of course, into the couple's mask quest because of the way that the characters relate to each other. The interconnectedness of the masks and the stories that they represent is really the meat of the game to me more than the larger story of freeing the giants. Definitely. So the question is, what order do you want to tackle this in? Should we just talk about, like, the main plot so we set the understanding of the setting? Like, we... we 
establish the setting with discussion about the main plot and then talk about the masks once a sense of place is there. Yeah, I would say let's go swamp, mountain, uh, the ranch, uh, the ocean, and Ikana, and then talk about the side quests that cross into these areas on the way. Okay, okay. Side quests. So we'd almost be talking about them in the order that you can access them. Yes. See. Okay, that makes sense. Should we be pointing out when there are differences between the 3DS and the N64 versions? I suppose. Are you aware of them? Yeah, I, I don't know all of them, but I know things like the stone mask is in a different place in the 3DS version. Shit, I don't remember anything about the Nintendo 64 version. The N64 version had you get the stone mask in Icona Canyon. Man, they made a lot of changes. I think they actually added in another bottle. At, isn't the Gorman Brothers where you get the extra bottle? Um, I think it might actually be from one of the beaver races. Oh, okay. I can't, I can't remember to save my life. Those beaver races got a lot worse in this version. Yeah. Which okay, is a shame, because so, there's so much more I like about the, how the game handles. Ugh. So, the Happy Mass Salesman teaches Link the Song of Healing, which is, sorry, a song reversed, uh, which has the ability to heal souls. And when he teaches it, he this giant organ appears out of nowhere, and then he starts, like, lazily pressing keys with one finger. It's very yes. good. Oh, that's, there's nothing going on in that scene that I don't like. But I love the Song of Healing. I'm it's going, a very good song. It's beautiful. It's one of the best pieces of music and one of the best used pieces of music in the entire series. And that's for a series that is all about music. I but really it, love the idea of playing a song that can heal people's souls. Yes. Because, not even so much because of the idea itself, but because it changes so much of how Link's uh, ability to act on the world functions like he's not so much a warrior in this one though he's still a warrior a warrior with a lot of experience he's a healer first and foremost and his most important duty is to heal mm -hmm. and that's good I a love lot it. of the mass quests do not involve combat at all it's just about getting to know people and talking to people yeah well, oh that's the talking best. to people because you don't talk well, i mean it's link very much does talk in this game we just never hear him do it well, let's talk about Link's personality a bit, because the whole point of sending Link back to which is that so that he could relive his childhood. Right. But you definitely get the sense that there's no going back. He has been irrevocably changed by his experiences. Yes. Even though he has the body of a child, he very much thinks and acts like an adult. I don't know that I would go that far. I think that when he was running around as an adult in Ocarina of Time, it was more that he very much had the cognition of a child. And in this game, it's not so much that he thinks like an adult, but that he has the experiences and the personal burdens of an adult without having grown up before getting them. Because he's still 10 or 11 in this. His experience of time is still that of a 10 or 11-year-old. It's just a 10 or 11-year-old who has seen a lot of things, fought the devil, and then had his best friend leave him. That's a good way to put it, yeah. It's interesting the way that Link kind of appears from this other world to just help out all these people and then leave, even though he he himself does not have any specific ties to Termina that, that the way he does to Hyrule. Is this the game where people theorize that Link is dead? Yeah, fuck that. Oh, come on. That's a I've dumb never heard theory. that theory. You That's should tell it to been me. Dumb. Come you on. should tell it to me. I don't know it. Link dies when he fell down the hole. What? Uh -huh. It's not like Link died fighting... Ganon or anything? He just flies... No, he, he, he fell down a hole. It's all about getting over his So death. that punk-ass skull kid has the Ocarina of Time, and that's just the end of that item's plot? Uh -huh. Oh, that's not very satisfying. 
Well, that's why it doesn't show up in Twilight Princess. Mm. Uh, mm. Mm. Uh-huh. Okay, mm. I don't like this theory very much. Okay, yeah, it's a bad I'm theory. Uh, so Link heals himself, and there's a good cutscene, like you mentioned before, of him waving away the Deku spirit. Bye. And now he's he's a he's a Highland kid again, and he has a sword and shield, which makes him an adult. Yes, I mean, you know, there's a reason the guards recognize him as an adult. It's not just because of the sword, it's because of his demeanor. Yeah. Uh, so Link is tasked with uh, checking out the swamp, the ocean, the canyon, and the mountain, because Tail mentioned them, and he asked uh, the Skull Kid to call the ones who rest there, because they have the ability to stop the moon. Right. Okay, I'd forgotten that Tail was the one who originally gave that order to them but it makes sense and tattle is the one who commits it to memory yes so link goes to the swamp he finds that little uh painting on the tree branch tree trunk on the way they have that little flashback then they go to the swamp and it's not looking great the princess is missing and the deku king is going to execute a monkey over oh, it. oh man that oh oh there's so much about this entire area that i love because it Im- you first run into the monkeys while you're getting through the woods trying to get to the Deku Palace, right? Uh-huh. And there's this implication that there's an entire society of monkeys that lives parallel to the Deku Kingdom, but you never really see what they're like. You just see them working together. Yeah, I like this little kingdom of monkeys and Deku people. And they're the cutest monkeys. I, hmm, they should have made the Deku people one of the recurring races like Gorons and Zora. I, I'm, I, I could see why you would say that, but I'm also glad it ended up being the Koroks. Because, I mean, there are business scrubs in Ocarina of Time. They're not all monsters. Right. Why don't they have a civilization? In um, okay, I, I can see why you would say that. But hear me out. Um, it's not so much that they exist parallel to an unseen Deku society from Hyrule. It's that the Deku royal family in particular is parallel to the Hyrulean royal family. Oh, okay. So the Deku princess is this game's equivalent to Zelda. And then what about the Economon? That we can get to a little bit later. Actually, okay. I'm going to say they're both parallel to the Hyrulean royal family. Okay, so there's a whole... Swamp is poisoned because there's yeah. a curse emanating from the temple. You gotta go in there and get, you know, make the poison go. Yeah, away. however it is that you do that thing. So you go in there, you do some puzzles, it's a Zelda dungeon, and then you fight this uh, racist caricature called Odawa. Woo! He speaks Mayan to you during the fight. Is that what's happening? Uh-huh. Is that actually like Mayan words? Yes. Oh dear. Yeah, there's a uh, head will ache and burn, come burn. And dance now. Oh, that's horrible. Uh, uh, oh, his, his design is like six or seven different kinds of racism all at once. So I'm not super surprised, but I'm a little bit surprised. So you hit him with your sword or your bubble, however you want to be. I him. spin attacked him. Yeah, and then his his body sort of dissolves into the ground, but his mask is left behind. Yeah. And then you pick up the mask, and it says, uh, "Let me get the exact line." Oh, this is one of my favorite things, when you pick up the remains. Yes. You have just freed the innocent spirit that this dark mask had kept imprisoned within the body of the evil Odolwa. And then Link is magically transported to this milky dimension, which looks vaguely like the Sacred Realm in Ocarina. Mm -hmm. 
and he talks to the giant. Well, he doesn't really talk. The giant makes these humming noises, and Tattle's like, it kind of sounds like a song. Pull out your ocarina and try to mimic it. And it is the the Oath to Order, which you can use to call the giants to go pick up the moon and keep it from falling down. But you're going to need all four giants to save Terminator. I love the giants in this game because they are so relentlessly strange looking. Like Yeah, like three quarters, more than three quarters even of their body is leg. And then they have this big head with a beard and arms coming out of where their ears would no be. No torso, just head. Yeah. And they, then they speak in this really cool, almost woodwind sounding voice. Yeah, oh, I love everything about them. They're so strange and otherworldly. They feel like nature gods very much. Yeah, they they definitely feel like something beyond human understanding. Link isn't ever actually that phased by them, though. Yeah, Link is very stoic in this game. I'd like to imagine the Hero of Time is kind of a warrior monk, and I mostly get that from this game. That would be something that we would joke about, Link being stoic, but... It actually comes up in a particular piece of dialogue when you rescue one of the giants. I can't remember which one. And Tattle asks Link about an ambiguous bit of dialogue. And the fact that he doesn't answer her and she keeps on talking as if he hasn't answered implies that he's taciturn in a way that he hasn't been in the series up to this point. There is uh, a good a good line in Destiny 2, a game where you also have a silent protagonist, oh, no. where you're trying to rescue this guy and he's like... Please just say something to make me feel better by saying anything. And then your your character is about to say something, and your little fairy companion interrupts you. Oh. And your character kind of gives him a look like, what the hell? I was about to say something. I see. Oh, we were going to do the thing for the audience. Uh-huh. Waka waka. It, hmm, now I'm thinking about how much of the ghost is like a fairy. Yeah, don't think about it too hard, or else you'll start thinking about how much the sidekick characters in... Uh, the per- later day Persona games actually serve the same purpose for the Protags in 4 and 5 as the fairies do for Link in the N64 games. I gotta say, I am generally not a huge fan of the conceit of a silent protagonist, but I like the concept of having a companion who does all the talking for you, and then you're just the muscle. Yeah, that, that's something that I quite enjoy. The only place that, this is really off topic, but it falls down a little bit in Persona 5 for me because everybody talks about how much you're the leader and how important your decisions are to everyone, but you never actually do any talking. It's always Mona, the cat, who talks, even when you're making decisions. Mm-hmm. I never liked that that much. But uh, th- th- everything about the Deku region is just kind of delightful as a way to introduce you to certain elements of the strangeness of this game. I When you meet twin rova mm-hmm. who's actually super nice and cool in this because they're just two sisters one running a potion shop the other running like a tourist trap photography boat ride uh-huh oh i was also it. tingle's father tingle's father we didn't even talk about tingle oh we didn't talk about tingle. should we talk about tingle let's talk about tingle okay let's talk about tingle just a little bit he's a 35 year old man and his father tells him to grow up but he doesn't because he he wants to be a fairy he does the goddesses have not blessed him with a fairy. Ah, uh, yeah. That's pretty much all there is about Tangle. Wait, is that his it, it's, it, it's interesting, though, because it's just... Uh, I think this is the only game where they try to actually humanize Tingle rather than use him as a strictly comedic club. Or yeah, he it, was flanderized in later games. Like, his father obviously cares about him very much in this game. And 
when I forget the exact context, but you can speak to his father in such a way that you can hear the how he's genuinely worried about his son. Yes. And it's really patronizing and paternalistic, but at the same time, it's something that makes sense when you're talking about Tingle, because Tingle tries really hard to hold on to the mystique of childhood. Mm-hmm. Sort Which, of a... I guess you could say it's sort of a mirror of Link. Yeah, I think he's very much intended to be a mirror of Link. He doesn't say anything about goths. I just wanted to clear that up. He just says... Alas, though I am already age 35, no fairy has come to me yet. That sounds about right. Uh, it's almost <laughs> like he's a joke about otaku culture. I, I get, Yeah, I could read him that way, I guess. It's, it's some kind of joke about a certain kind of player. When in doubt, I always assume that somebody's trying to be mean to somebody playing the video game. And it usually works. Hey, let's talk about one of the side quests in this one. Okay. The cursed man who was cursed to be a spy. Oh, dear God. Yeah. The uh, spider houses. Really, the more specific thing I want to talk about is the mask you get at the end of that quest, which is the Mask of Truth. Okay. And I also want to talk about the Gossip Stones littering the region. Hey, Cameron, yeah. why are there Sheikah and Terminal? <sighs> wow, that's a good question I actually hadn't considered until just this second. Uh-huh. Because it's like, oh, there are Gossip Stones. I wonder where the Gossip... I never thought to wonder where the Gossip Stones came from. They're just like, oh, these are from Ocarina of Time. And that's as far as my brain went with them. Shit. Did the Garo make them? Did... Oh, okay. Yeah. You could say the Garo are kind of like Sheikah, but they don't have the symbol. They're almost like opposite point Sheikah. Uh, Would it be okay if... mm, Okay. I think there's sort of an implication in certain parts of this that Termina is known to the Hyrulean royal family. Why would you say that? It's really something that comes up better in the Akana region. But the game talks in a few points about other nations. Yes, they did. They did. And not just other nations as in the Zora people or the Akana oh, royalty. Shit. Are you implying that the great war against an enemy nation that Ikana had was against Hyrule? It could have been. Shit. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And then the Garo were the were spies sent over, but then because the, they were left behind, they weren't Sheikah anymore. They became the Garo. No, no, no. We'll get back to the Garo Shit. once we talk oh, about man. the oh. But I think like the Sheikah and the Garo may have been at odds with each other. But this is like pure fucking fanfic bullshit. Okay, oh. I think I I don't think we're supposed to read into the presence of the gossip stones. But if you do, it implies some really interesting things about how Hyrule must have interacted with Termina in the past. Oh yeah. Okay. So <laughs> this is suddenly interesting. You you find the princess after you beat Odawa. Uh, where was she? she? Uh, she was in a room somewhere, uh, and okay. she asked you to put her in a bottle okay. and take her to her father. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's weird. Oh, it's beautiful. It's like okay, I can't possibly cross this swamp by myself. It's super dangerous. Could you get me over there? Do you have anything I could? just be inside of and the game doesn't tell you that you're supposed to use a bottle it's just expecting you to go like i i uh, uh, thwomp and you cram this deku princess who is about link's size into like eight fluid ounces of storage space Uh and all the game tells you is it's a tight fit but she thinks she'll make it cameron have you ever uh Watch the show Totally Spies. I think I saw one episode, something like, oh God, must have been 15 years ago almost. You, you should listen to the Totally Reprise podcast on AudioEntropy.com. Why? Uh, because it's a nonstop fetish fest? Yes. 
and this kind of feels like someone inserting their fetish into the game. I don't know. It felt more goofy than fetishy to me. So it's, it, it's treated very comedically. You, you carry the princess in the bottle. You can just yeah. hold for a while if if you want. You yeah. have to deliver her immediately. Even though she tells you to hurry the hell up because it's really uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And you see, you go to the Deku court and the monkey's about to be burned alive. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, yeah, we're going to come back to that. We can just, we can talk about that now. I mean, okay. you, you turn over the princess. She's like, the monkey didn't kidnap me, so let him go. No, here's the thing. If you go back without the princess, without oh. having beaten Odawa, okay. they dip the monkey. They they kill the monkey? No, they dip the monkey. Oh. You, you've right. never done this? No. I usually end up wandering back in there once or twice by for some reason that I forget. But if you ever go back in there after seeing the initial thing where the monkey gives you the song to raise up the temple uh mm-hmm. you will see the torture being carried out where the monkey is dipped into the po- boiling pot and he's lifted out and he's got this really glazed look in his eyes and if you try to talk to him it's just ellipses oh no yeah they torture that monkey into unconsciousness that that's messed Poor up cute little monkey there's torture in this zelda game well we move from implied torture in ocarina of time to explicit torture Maybe it wasn't torture and they were actually trying to kill him, only the water wasn't quite hot enough, or they didn't realize that monkeys have to breathe. I think being dipped into a a pot of boiling water would be likely to kill you, especially if you don't get medical attention. Here's the thing. If if you do that and then come back with the princess, the monkey's fine. Okay. He's a a tough monkey. They never actually kill the monkey. He's a tough monkey. He's like, his toughness (laughs) is second only to his cuteness. Uh, I, I guess we're finished with the swamp region for now. I like... The royal family of the Deku so goddamn much because the sequence where you bring her back is just this screaming festival of violence perpetrated by the princess. It's like the first thing she does is throw her father down from his throne and start jumping up and down on top of him and calling him stupid. And all the guards are just fucking terrified of her. They don't know what to do. They can't possibly move to the... Uh, get the princess off the king and then she turns on them and you can collectively almost hear each of them dropping seeds onto the ground and it's interesting because when she orders them to take down that monkey right this second they just hop to it they run to do it and princess it's almost, is the, boss. the princess is the actual power of the throne oh there's is one more thing we should talk about in the swamp the deku oh, okay. butler oh that that's that's for after talking about this ignorant bullshit i just love that that it's like the Zelda games never show the king or the princess actually doing anything governmental, right? Right. But in this game, you actually see it, and it turns out the princess is the real boss, mm-hmm. and that the king is just a stand-in for when the princess isn't around. That yep. may not be how you're supposed to read that scene, but I read it that way because it's a lot funnier to me. Should, should we talk about the butler? Oh, that fucking butler. Yeah, I guess we should. So the butler's like, hey, thanks thanks for bringing peace back to the swamp. He's, he's super happy that you brought back the princess because he likes the princess. And he, he can do a little maze thing to get the mask of sense, which is a little pig mask where Link can sniff yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I, the, the butler mentions that Deku Link looks a lot like his son, his missing son. Yeah. What is it that he says? Let me see here. My son. son. Actually, when I, I see you, I am reminded of my son who left home long ago. Somehow I feel as if I am once again racing with my son. I am afraid I may have tried too hard to outrun you. As old as I am, I am still a fast competitor, just like when I raced my son. Please forgive my rudeness. Now, the interesting thing here is that after you beat him, he gives you the Mask of Sense, which is a piggy mask meant for finding magic mushrooms. And mm-hmm. I think that magic mushrooms in this game are just used for making blue potions. 
I think that's about okay. right. But if you go back and talk to the Deku Butler again on a different cycle while you already have the Mask of Sense, he tells you that the Mask of Sense belonged to his son. Oh, wow, there's so much hidden dialogue in this game. Yeah, it's uh, if, you're, if you look on the text dump, that it, you can do a control F for my son often. George's mask text my son. My son often used that mask to find mushrooms in the forest. Oh, how I long for those days. I wonder where he is gone, what he is doing. If only he would write me a letter. Pardon me. Once again, thoughts of my son have me feeling sentimental. Now, but where were we? There's some dark shit here, Crystal! His son was just trying to find some mushrooms in the forest. Yeah. And then he had his soul sucked out. Shoved in a mask. And at the end of at the credits of the game, when everyone's happy and celebrating, the last thing you'll see is the Deku butler standing next to that malformed tree, just bawling his eyes yes, out. Mourning his son. It's it's messed up. It's so sad. Why can't it you is. save his son? You couldn't save his son because his son was already dead by the time you got there. Yeah. Just like you can't save Darmani and you can't save Macau. But that's an interesting thing because it, I talked about how the fairy is the first time that you get an impression of how far uh, Skull Kid's pranks are going outside of the moon. And even with the poison, it feels very removed, a very uh, large scale in such a way that it's not personal. But this shit with the Deku butler. He murdered the person. He murdered someone's son. And this is like, if you go along and get masks in the order that you can get them. You can get a lot of masks before this one, but this one is one of the primary ones where it goes, okay, this game throws kind of dark sometimes in ways that the other games often only hinted at. Oh, it's so fucked up. God Rated E for everyone. Is this one? I thought it was E10. I don't think E10 existed back then. Oh, uh, was that? I, I thought that was introduced in 2000. Oh, it doesn't matter. I, I think this and smash brothers were like the two like maybe we should have something between e and t oh yeah that's that deku butler's son though god damn that is some shit yeah raw deal and that was a hard racing game too uh it is interesting that so there's a couple characters that hang out in that weird margin between hyrule and termina the skull kid seems to go back and forth regularly right uh, the Deku Butler's son knew it at least well enough to get past that stone door on the bottom of the clock tower. Unless Skull Kid dragged him out there. Oh, is that what you think happened? I, it's possible. Though, it, it does make sense that he normally goes out there if the Deku Butler knows to go out that far looking for him. And then, the, of course, the Happy Mass Salesman appears in both places. You could say he was in that forest because he just wanted to travel to Termina for whatever reason. Right. Well, they got hella masks in Termina. Yeah, it's a good mask place. Do you think he might be a native Terminian? Um, I guess it's possible, but if but if he is, it seems awfully foolish of him to go after Majora's mask. Yeah, it would be, but he's got to get the mask. I guess so. Got to get that devil mask. And it's not like he didn't respect it, either. He knew what it was, how dangerous it was, but he had to have it. I mean, he didn't exactly lock it up. He just no, he had didn't. it in his backpack. Well... I guess most people don't expect to be mugged in the Lost Woods. But I I like the idea that this presents where the Lost Woods is sort of this soft, liminal space between Hyrule and other worlds. Yeah. Oh, uh, I I remembered something that I was thinking the other day uh, with regards to the Accursed Timeline and how uh, information from the Ocarina of Timeline could be communicated to that one. You know how Phantom Ganon is banished to the gap between dimensions? Ah, yes. Oh, that's pretty much it. He could be affecting dreams that people have. Sure. Okay. 
Did, did Happy Mask Salesman see Mario in the dream? I'm going to say yes. And he probably made that mask himself. Uh, that's one of the originals. Yeah. A Happy Mask Salesman original. <laughs> so let's move on to the Snowhead Mountain region. Oh, boy. Land of the Gorns. Yeah. Uh, let me see. What is the exact order of events? So when do you come across the Ghost of Darmani? Well, to see the Ghost of Darmani, if I remember, you need to have the Lens of Truth. And where do you get that? I don't remember this game that well, despite playing. Holy shit, girl. Um, the place you get the Lens of Truth in Majora's Mask... Um, isn't it around Gorn Village? Right, I think I remember... Rescue the sun? I think I remember Alf... At, wait, is Kabora Kabora in this game? There is an owl, yes. Does it talk to you? Uh-huh. Does its head turn upside down? Uh-huh. That's Kabora Kabora. You, th- you think Raru's here? I think it's very possible. I I, th- I always thought it was a different you owl. You thought it was a different Kabora Gabora? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, still that owl. Yeah, and it is that owl. He, tre- he leads you to getting the Lens of Truth. And with the Lens of Truth, you find the spirit of Darmani. But I think... I'm going to be honest with you. Majora's Mask doesn't, like, get me choked up in a lot of parts. But the bit where you play the Song of Healing for Dar- Darmani just wrecks me every fucking time. It's very sad. It's very sad because as you're going through here, the Goran Mountain, which is normally supposed to, I assume, be a lot like Death Mountain in that it's hot or at best temperate, is freezing. Yeah, they're going to freeze to death. They're going to freeze to death. And that's another thing that Skull Kid did. He just, like, casually committed genocide. he, He wanted to ruin everyone's lives on three levels. One, on a personal level, by messing up people's relationships in a bunch of ways. Mm -hmm. Two, individually cursing each region and then dropping a moon on them. He's very thorough. Yeah. That's some grade A supervillainous bullshit. He might be the most evil character? Uh, Majora? Majora, rather, yes. Majora's very thoroughly evil. He, He might... I don't know. I'd have to think about that because even in Ocarina of Time, Ganondorf does similar things. Like feeding the Gorons to Volvagia. But Ganon has... He doesn't want to wipe out everyone. He has a little bit more of a motivation, I guess, than as it is. Yeah, Majora just wants to destroy everything, it seems. She's very, very evil. It's almost like getting revenge on the gods rather than revenge on the people themselves. We will definitely talk okay. about that. So the thing about this region is that the Gorons are not just freezing to death, they're also starving. Because mm-hmm. the ice is preventing them from being able to find any of the rocks that they normally eat. Can't find the good you rocks. Can't find the good rocks. And they're not Dodongo rocks in this one, I don't think. They're just rock rocks. Yeah, I don't think there's Dodongos. There are. Wait, are yeah, there? Yeah, there's I, I don't remember anything about this game. There are Dodongos in at least a few of the holes you can find in Termina Field, uh, especially the ones that are between Clock Town and Snow Peak. Oh, right, in that little region there. That little grotto region. And then you gotta hit it with a bow to get yeah. through. Yeah, they're, they're pretty tough. But anyway, so they're all star. I, I don't think it's Dodongo meeting this one, but regardless, they're starving to death. It is like the worst situation you ever find any tribe of people in in a Zelda game. And they're, the little, little baby Goron's crying because he's got he, no food. He is crying real bad, and he's crying so loud people can't sleep. And you feel for him, man, because he just wants his father. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, where's your fucking father, kid? And you have to go out there. And this is a part of the game that kind of bugged me sometimes. Is it's like, how the fuck am I supposed to find this guy? And you have to melt a lot of ice blocks in order to find the kid's father. And 
his father is just this elder Gorin who is so old they can barely walk, who froze trying to find their son. And he's like, oh no, my son must be missing me. I have to get there as fast as I can. Okay, let's... Let's talk about Goron aging a little oh, bit. Oh no. They're rock people. They are. How, okay, how, how do they age? And also, okay, so Link the Goron in Ocarina of Time uh-huh. was no older than Seven, right. but he looked older than this kid. Yep. So this kid was sired by this just barely hanging on to life, decrepit old Goron. Truly ancient. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, why would we assume that age has anything to do with reproduction among Gorons? I, what is the repro- Also, why does the Goron Elder have, like, ribs? He hasn't been eating enough rocks. Also, also, he's very old. <laughs> I don't... All the mass that he gets from eating rocks is on his back. That's why his back is so enormous compared to the rest of him. But... Okay. And that's why he's bent over, because it's so heavy. So, like, did he make his son out of rocks? It doesn't really matter I, how. It's just, he's, he's just, I just don't understand why they made him his son instead of his grandson or great-great-grandson or great-great-great-grandson. About two years after I first played Majora's Mask, before I replayed it, I misremembered thinking that the baby Gorn was Darmani's son. Yeah, that would make sense to some degree. It would also be, like, way too tragic, though. Uh, his daddy would be dead. Yeah, well, his dad is almost dead as it fucking is. But uh, it's it's a thing, though, because you, you find this old dude, and it's, I don't know how they reproduce, Crystal. It's it's not really an important question. They probably make each other out of rocks, or they reproduce by... It, probably that big hump on his back was bigger before part of it broke off, and there oh, was the so baby Oh, it's gore. like budding. Yeah, it's like budding. <laughs> it's empreg. What? Empreg? Pregnancy. Like yeah. in mammals. Yeah, no. But like in their rock backs, that eventually, eventually gets big enough that part of it just kind of drops off, and there hatches a gorilla. Is that is that pregnancy? Well, sure, because they they carry it and they have a big back belly. Do you remember that scene in that episode of SpongeBob where he explains that sponges reproduce by budding? And oh then yeah, he's there's several in, scenes like that. And then he's covered in like thirty little SpongeBob's. Uh-huh. Is that impreg? No, because he's not pregnant. Okay. What I'm saying here is that the Gorons aren't really pregnant either. It's, it's reminiscent if you're talking about having a big growing hump. Well, they all have growing humps. It's just that eventually it breaks off. Okay, sure. Say, Gorons are sentient rock. It's like mitosis. Sure. Okay. A piece oh, of I'm so excited off. for Death Stranding. Speaking what? of Empreg. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> Why am I doing this? Why am I on this show? You, you okay. love The Legend of Zelda. I'm going to make you regret this conversation once it gets to be about 7 o'clock and you realize we're not finished. Uh-huh. That'll be it. Okay. No. Um, so... And you find this guy, and he's like, I have to get to my son as fast as possible. And he starts walking in that direction, right? And mm-hmm. I've never tested it, but I think you could actually walk, watch him walk for three days straight. Probably. But he moves so slowly, he would never get out of, like, that one loading zone that he's in. So you talk to him again, and he's like, I'm not going to fucking make it. This is ridiculous. If you play my son's lullaby, it'll help things. Could you do that for me? And you're like, sure. That works. And... You go off, you find the sun again, and you play it on Darmani's drums. And that lullaby makes him fall asleep. And I never got... That part never got me much. But it's like the way it ties into Darmani, the character. Because when you heal Darmani, you get this sequence of how much his people care about him. He's a hero. He's a hero that his people care about. And they know that he's done great things for them, even though... He wasn't able to save them. So what he's doing is 
He's trust. He's taking the love of his people and he's trusting you with it, hoping that you will be the one to do what he could not. It's such a great quest line oh, to like come across this ghost, heal his soul, then become him to help this kid that he cared about. And everyone assumes that you're him. Yeah. Everyone. So they get their hero back and he gets to rest easier knowing that his people are being helped by someone who also cares. And you prove that you care by healing him. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, oh, I love this whole sequence. I love everything about the Goron region in this game. It's a pretty good region. And then you get the Goron races, which are very good. Yeah, those are good. Those are good in every version of it. So you go up onto Snowhead. Do you remember a big Goron from Ocarina of Time? Yeah, I remember Big Goron. He's a pretty cool guy. I like that fellow. He's mm-hmm. got itchy eyes, but that can't be helped. And then Big Goron in this game, he's kind of a kind of a dick he he's made some mistakes he has like killing darmani yeah he, oh that is what happened isn't it uh-huh. he was darmani was trying to make his way what is it called snowhead peak snowhead temple he was trying to make his way to snowhead temple along this really perilous uh really long just ridiculously narrow path and he gets blown off of it by a wind and it's like where is this fucking wind coming from and i think if you stand there long enough to, uh Tattle will be like, you should really try and see what's going on here. This is ridiculous. So use a lens of truth, and you see the terminant equivalent of Big Goran, who is the size of the mountain, just resting up on top of it and constantly blowing hurricane force winds across this bridge so nobody can come near it. He's just very tired, is all. And you play the Goran lullaby for him, and he falls asleep and rolls off and falls into a bottomless abyss. And when I first did that, I thought I had killed him. Okay. Yeah, he's too big to die. He's much too big to die, which you learn later if you come back. Yeah, because he's, he he has no idea what happened. He just he doesn't. took a nap. He's like, he, he's like, was I doing something? I have no idea. And it's like, oh my god, Skull Kid controlled this person's mind to make them spew hurricane force winds and made them implicit in killing their own hero for I mean, no reason. Okay, look, when Snorlax blocks the road... And an ambulance can't get to the hospital, and the patient dies. Do you blame the Snorlax? Well, no, I, I would. I blame the ho- I blame the ambulance for not having the Poke flute tune as one of its siren selections. That would be them. It would. Why didn't Darmani have the thing? Why didn't he play the uh, Goran's lullaby? Yeah, because he didn't have the lens of truth. Uh-huh. He didn't know what was happening, just like Big Goran didn't know what was happening. And that's the thing. I- just the idea that he's done this horrible thing, but he doesn't know that he did it, is one of those things that I find existentially terrifying in this game. Imagine the guilt. Would you tell Hell him? Hell no. No? No! Never! You, you just... Okay. But Would he, you? I mean, he's gonna figure it out. No, he's not. He's gonna hear that, that Darmani died because How? he fell off, because he blew him off. Uh, who's gonna find Darmani's body? Well, okay, so... As, okay. as best everyone in the gore and tribe knows darmani managed to get on to snowhead temple and solve the problem and bring spring back and save everyone and then mysteriously disappear and then just disappear which creates its own very interesting narrative problems which are even more interesting and troubling in the next area uh do we have anything to talk about with goat he's a very good boss what the hell is up with goat he's a mass mechanical goat right i get that but like 
I suppose I should say, what are the bosses in this game? That's a good question. Because in, in, in the first game, you get the impression that all the bosses exist concretely in the world. Or I say first game. But in pretty much all the games, and Ocarina of Time included, you know what the bosses are and why they exist in this place. Maybe less for Link to the Past. You can figure it out mostly. But in Majora's Mask, it breaks off hard from Ocarina of Time because you never get an explanation for what the hell Odawa is or who built Goat. The line about when you have freed an innocent spirit kind of implies to me that Goat is the mask and he, like, possessed the body of the giant. So Goat's mask is a transformation mask for a god. Yes. That's an interesting thought. What did you think of the changes to uh, the Goat boss battle? Uh, it was perfect before they changed it. I don't like the yeah, eyes. I don't much like the eyes either. Uh, I thought Odalwa might have actually worked better in the 3DS version. Uh, yeah, Goat... Mm, you could say Goat's the only good boss in the original version. Yikes! Yowza, Bobowza! The dungeons and bosses in this game are maybe not the best in the series. Yeah, okay. I guess that's fair. I like Gaiorg, though. I did not like her. I didn't like that. That's... People complain about the Water Temple. The Water Temple's not that bad. The Water Temple in this game is what people remember the Water Temple being. Ah, uh, well, well, we'll get to that, I guess. Indeed we will, next week. But for now... Enjoy all our other shows on audioentropy.com.